Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim. And my name is Marshall. All right. How you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. October weather, and it's been a little warm for our Octobers, but the leaves are changing. Yeah. I was going to say baseball matters, but now it doesn't all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> Football yeah. is going, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, big fan of Thanksgiving. That's mm-hmm. my, it's my favorite holiday. Yeah. I'm always confused by Canadian Thanksgiving. I've been here yeah. 11, no, I've been here since 2012. Yeah. So mm. 11 years and it still catches me off guard every time. It's, it's one of those things where like, I get why Americans do it later. Cause if it's going to be kind of like a, like a pre-Christ, like pre-winter, pre-Christmas, mm-hmm. after the harvest kind of thing. I mean, most parts of the states have a lower or longer, I should say, longer growing season. So mm-hmm. yeah, like, yeah, if you're in, you know, there's parts of the states that are very similar here. There's parts of the states that aren't. Yeah, I but I don't think, I don't, hmm, is it nearly, I, I guess basically a month and a half offset i don't know that that's the case well i always think of like those earliest british colonies in the united states which were like virginia maryland Hmm. there might be a month gap or even more maybe you know obviously you drive across the border into western new york or michigan and it's like they deal with the same garbage we do here all through the winter but you know, yeah. you drive a few hundred miles south and maybe it gets a little different. Yeah, but even being as far south as Arkansas, it's cold at Thanksgiving. It's cold? What's cold, Tim? Tell us what cold like is. Like cold enough Ar- you'd want to wear a coat. I mean, it's it's going to be 24 today. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So... Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair Relative. Enough. Fair enough, fair relatively, enough. Relatively. I get you. Cold. I, I mean... In, in a way that won't be offset by a month and a half. Yeah. The thing about Canadian Thanksgiving is it could be... You could have almost summer weather... Or there could be snow on the ground. It's literally that you think? up in the air. Oh yeah. Well, I've, I've never seen. I've had I've had snow on my birthday is the seventh, which most years is usually it's before it's before Thanksgiving. Oftentimes it's Thanksgiving weekend, and I've had snow on my birthday. For our American listeners, twenty four is seventy five degrees. There you go. Yeah. So it could be seventy five. It could be fifty. And no one would be surprised with either. It's yeah. kind of is kind of where Canadian weather is in October. Anyways, yeah, that's not what anyway, we're here to talk about. Anyway. We're here to talk about the six. Our right. second episode on on the sick people. Yeah. So this time we're going to delve into the theology. Yeah. Uh, the belief systems of sickism. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a couple of corrections. Okay. I I realized in that I made two mistakes. Okay. Um, I'll just allow those to come up. In the uh, as conversation they, as yeah. they come, so, sure, because surely they will. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, firstly, when it comes to kind of like beliefs and practices of the sick people, kind of as we've moved on from from the historical nature and essentially what they believe and what they do in their you know in their religious ceremonies are deeply connected to the history. So we've laid that groundwork, right. um, but. The thing that's going to be most distinguishing often about sick people, and we, we, we mentioned this last week, but there, there are visual indicators yeah. that are typically going to let you know that this person is a sick person. And, mm-hmm. and quite often, um, at least colloquially, and, and in the West in particular, um, it's going to be known as the, the five Ks. Right. And the five Ks were brought about by guru number 10. Yeah, so the last one. Right, who is uh, Gobind Rai. Yep. So uh, Guru Gobind Rai is the one who who brings these things along. He brings a lot of this along. And, and this, is, this is probably the best opportunity for me to maybe even mention both of my corrections. Do it. Um, one, I was under the impression that there were the gurus. Mm-hmm but still using the word teacher as guru throughout. Yeah. Um, 
it is the case in Hinduism and in some forms of Buddhism, but it's not the case in Sikhism. Yeah, it's a closed, yeah, closed group of gurus, and it, and it gets closed by Gobind Rai. Yeah. Um, also, when we were talking about the history, and we were talking about Nanak yep. and his story, the first one, yeah, the first one. Um, they, just to lay the foundation, he grew up listening uh, to Hindu and Islamic teachers. Um, ended up leaving that and going to work for the government mm-hmm. of all places. Yeah, and and while he's there, is just overcome with gre- the concept of greed. Um, and uh, and the the caste system is appalling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He goes away. It is three days. Okay, that was something that we were sort of up in the air uh, on. He he was swimming, bathing, whatever. Disappeared under the water. Comes back three days later. Later, having visited God, mm-hmm. right? And and kind of maybe a similar thing that we would say about Paul. Right. Right. Caught up in caught up this into the presence of God. Supernatural. You know. Isaiah. Sure, sure. That sort of a thing. Um, and he comes back and says, there's no Hindu, there's no Muslim, there's only God. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is which is his moment of enlightenment. This is where I, I would say that it begs a question. Um, his moment of enlightenment seems to have come before where he is being appalled by class... Uh, classism, yeah, sure, um, and corruption, and, and the corruption, things. and yeah. he is listening not to any one religious group, mm. but studying multiple religious groups. Yep, and so this then experience seems to be more of a solidifier than a moment of enlightenment, mm-hmm. and uh, and he is going to come back and, and push hard on a universalist attitude, right. All religions are just various expressions of the same God, mm. um, and equality across mankind. Yep. That's his. That's his big push coming out of this, mm-hmm. and um, a radical departure from what yeah. existed in India. Yeah, like we can't underestimate that. Like we hear, oh, all people are created equal, and for us in our kind of Judeo-Christian Western background, we're like, well, yeah, obviously, mm-hmm. that was not an obviously. Right. In India in the 16th century or whenever it was that I think it was the 16th century. Yeah, and and when the when the Mughals are are controlling the area, um, they're putting Hindus to death for the practice of their faith. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Guru number nine, uh, Teg Bahadur, mm-hmm. dies on not expressing his own religious freedom, his own religious rights, but standing up for the Hindus. Yeah, right. Um, but. <clears throat> but anyway, I, I attributed also the uh, five human sacrifices to Nanak mm-hmm. in that experience. But that was Teg Bahadur's son, number 10, just to get us back on track, yep, yep. Uh, Govind Rai. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is, going to, he is going to establish much of what we see mm-hmm. in... Sikhism today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the, by far, b- far, by far and away, it's number one and number ten who have the largest influence. I would say yeah. on the development of what Sikhs believe and practice. I, I would say uh, Nanak number one mm-hmm. is the father by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, the father and the greatest contributor to theology proper mm-hmm. inside of. Uh, Sikhism, um, whereas Tin Gobind Rai is the father of and the founder of much of practical theology. Yeah, I would agree. How with that, that gets expressed? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, so some of the things that that get expressed as far as how Sikhs are to identify themselves in relationship to their faith are in connection with something that we call the the five Ks, and so. The five, the five Ks, um, first off, what's not part of the five Ks, but is a very important distinguishing factor is the, the star, uh, which is the wearing of the turban yeah. for men. And I was, not I was really surprised one of the by five that. Ks. Yeah. And not even, not even uh, present in the teaching. It's connected to 
it's connected to the the first K Kess, which is uncut hair. Right. So men don't cut their hair. So the turban seems to be just a practical application of that practical um, consequence, I should say. Yeah. Of not cutting your hair, like you can't just have this like floor length hair. Well, every. Every rocker in the '80s would say otherwise, but <laughs> but it's 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 kind of it's it's kept up and it's kind of underneath underneath uh, underneath you know this this turban and and oftentimes what you'll see is for young men and I came into contact with this a lot when I was doing um, competitive kickboxing a lot of gyms out of Toronto some of the young guys would just have it looks more like a bun mm-hmm. until the hair grows longer and then it becomes more of a a full right. headed turban right and i i was really surprised by that because of the 5ks some of them are becoming less and less mandatory and more symbolic right right, right, uh, right. just for practicality's sake sure um but this one which is not a part of the 5ks Mm -hmm. but just a traditional outgrowth of how Mm -hmm. this is dealt with seems to be kept more than even what would uh some practical elements that are codified. Right, right. Yeah, so yeah, so the kiss, the uncut cut hair, which is then connected to this idea of the turban. Uh, the kirpan, which is the dagger or small sword, you know, they're, they kind of vary in, in size and length. Um, so traditionally, Sikh, Sikh men will actually carry a, a knife, a large knife or dagger or whatever, um, it's, which symbolizes, I mean, depending on who you ask, symbolizes often like the fight against injustice. Um, yeah. Also kind of just defending their own rights and those of the downtrodden. Yeah, and, and that's, I think that's a good point, right? None of the five were given by Gobind Ryan. None of these five are, are given, this is why you carry these things. It's just saying... This is the interpretation, this is what they represent. Um just just do it right and and the only one that i've come across that has any sort of sort of worldview application mm-hmm. i mean some of them have very practical applications like we'll talk about it later but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um the only one with a real worldview application is is this one mm-hmm. that i found that is you have to carry a sword but it can never be used as an offensive weapon. Right, right. It is only a defensive weapon, and a lot of that conversation is not around personal defense, mm-hmm. but the defense of others. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, that's a big part of uh, of their beliefs. The next and is... This, the, this, sorry. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. This is one that has struggled in uh, some of the major sick communities around the world. Sure. Because uh, whereas our American listeners know, like the conversation of gun control is a huge topic that kind of a thing Mm -hmm. in places like the uk there are very strict limitations on blades that are carried obviously yeah right even to the point of some of what people might just consider a traditional pocket knife is not allowed uh and considered an offensive weapon so this right here is is really a point of compromise for them sure in in a lot of ways oh, just yeah. how they practically carry themselves through society right when they are a large community in mm-hmm. the UK yeah no that's that's a good point yeah uh there's the kara which is a steel wristband or a metal wristband um so again so oftentimes some kind of like bracelet or wristband that that the men will wear the kanga which is a a comb yeah, that's the other practical one. That's yeah. the practical one. Yeah, and and also the second thing about long hair. Yeah, you right. Gotta, you got the long hair one. You got to have a comb. You got to take care of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the last one is the kachera, which is um, special undergarments that represent commitment to chastity and, and mm-hmm. marriage. Kind of like a chastity belt. There's there's other groups like the Mormons yeah. have special undergarments. There's different groups that have this. This isn't yeah. entirely unique to to the six. Yeah, the, the difference the difference between it and a chastity belt would be this is less rule of force, right, and it's more what, of just like sacred reminder. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's not a lot of force. I would say is my understanding within the Sikh community yeah. and faith. 
This is something mm-hmm. that people by and large seem to, obviously there's familial and community pressures, but it's, it's, um, it's much more kind of a thing that people choose to do. Yeah. It's my understanding, my interpretation of it. Yeah. The last note that I would have on those five is the long hair. Mm-hmm gets interpreted by different individuals. It doesn't seem like by groups, but individuals on whether or not that includes the beard. Right, yeah. Some some have it include the beard, so the beard just grows really long, mm-hmm. uh, whereas others will trim their beards mm-hmm. and just not the not hair that. on their head. Yeah. Um, but some will prefer the trimmed look, but they don't want to cut it for religious reasons, and so mm-hmm. they just... Use tons of bobby pins and just kind of wrap it up Pin around. It up. Yeah. 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 So there's obviously some variety of interpretation within the various communities. Um, so sick worship happens at places that are called gudwaras, uh, which literally means doors to the guru. Mm-hmm. So these then, and keep in mind, as we mentioned last time, the guru, there's the 10 gurus, but also the scripture, Guru Granth Sahib. I believe is their their holy text is considered to be a a living guru, right? Given to them by Gobind Rai. Yes. So when he does this, this is where this is why I would say he's the father of practical theology, mm. right? His dad is the one beheaded for defending others. Mm-hmm. Um, in that process, the sick people just sort of like dissolve into society. Mm-hmm. Um, not that they, they acclimate to other faiths or anything, mm-hmm. um, but he just realizes they're not identifiable. Mm-hmm. And, and I mentioned the five human sacrifices. We can't leave that dangling. So, yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's sure. Yeah. So, so in that, in that manner of, of being like, we, we don't really stand out where it, it's not identifiable. We, we just kind of come together. He mm-hmm. has this ceremony where he sets up a tent. He asks for a human sacrifice um, and everyone just sort of stands there, mm. like, not me. <laughs> and eventually someone comes forward, mm-hmm. right? Goes into the tent. Uh, the uh, the guru comes out with a bloody sword, asks for another, and he does this five times. But mystically, on the fifth time, instead of coming out with five dead bodies, all the men are alive and dressed the same, mm. right? And they're from different castes. They do a ceremonial drinking of the same cup, which mm-hmm. would have been like wild at the time. He presents mm-hmm. the five Ks, mm-hmm. um, and, he, and he's doing this in order to set these people apart identifiably. Right. You can tell that right? they're different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and creating, creating in that a visible difference mm-hmm. and, a, and a setting apart in in what they're going to call a kaisa, right? A, mm-hmm. a community mm-hmm. of of these, even to the point of like changing their surnames. Yep. Right? So they would have had surnames according to their castes, mm-hmm. uh, but they take on the surname Singh, mm-hmm. and, and that is just sort of the... For for the especially those from the upper class, I, you know, denouncing their privilege. Right. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And for those who had been told forever, you're not allowed to have any privilege because you were born into this. Mm-hmm. It's their chance to claim their privilege. Yep. yep. Right. And to claim inequality. Mm-hmm. The beautiful line from it uh, that I that I heard from Gobind Rai was, "The air touches the king and the peasant the hmm. same way." Yeah. Um. And and women take on the surname Kor. Yeah, uh, as as their name, but but mm-hmm. in doing this, he establishes this visible separate group mm-hmm. with visible separate places of worship, mm-hmm. um, who are just standing out in their their culture. Yep, yep. So their worship service, as it exists today, is fairly simple. It, it involves certain components that um, you know we as Christians would be familiar with: reading scripture, singing prayer, mm-hmm. fellowship. Um, one of the things that kind of came up repeatedly was there's no established clergy system, but practically that's not necessarily the case. Practically right. you do have particular people. Again, they'll say there's no division between men and women. It's overwhelmingly men who have 
studied more than most who take on a greater share of the responsibility of leading that worship. So it's not entirely, it's not entirely different than um, some of what we see in the evangelical church. Yeah. Classically brethren churches mm-hmm. have had a similar stance, Yeah, but with also with similar compromises and exceptions right. and, and just the acknowledgement of these people have studied more and no more. And are yeah. more capable of teaching, so they'll do so that. they teach. Yeah, right. The Jehovah's Witness are the same way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They there is no leader, mm-hmm. but there are these elders, and in New York, a special set of elders. Yeah, um, that aren't special, but <laughs> but they do help to distribute um, the information because they're particularly gifted in that way. Right. 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 Yeah, so they don't have clergy in the sense of like the Catholic Church where you have a separate class of people. Right. Um, right. So it it you know, so they're they're yeah, they're different in, in that regard. Um there is an initiation ceremony. So although one might be born into a sick family, sick community, mm-hmm. technically you don't actually become uh, part of of the the sick community until you go through this initiation ritual, which is referred to as taking Amrit. And Amrit is essentially like, it's a, it's sweetened water, mm-hmm. really is what it is. Um, and you kind of do this ceremonial drinking of it. Um, typically, like a group of five people who are already part of the, the Kasa, which is like the, the community. Mm-hmm. Like those who are already in will kind of lay hands on you. They'll read. It'll be sometimes the, the ceremony itself will take hours. Uh, but the whole idea is like you're kind of being welcomed in as you ceremonially drink this drink. Right. Um, you know, it's, you know, that what you're drinking is blessed and then stirred um, and sprinkled on you and, and then you drink it. And that's kind of the, the initiation into that that community in an official way. And that typically happens. Interestingly enough, there's some parallels. So I would say amongst credo Baptist churches, we would say, you know, typically we don't baptize very, very young children. And the same is true in the sick community. They wouldn't. So taking Emrit, you're not typically going to see a five-year-old taking Emrit. A 12-year-old, that's very common. Mm -hmm. Or older than that, yeah, also common. Uh, But you're you're typically not going to see uh, very young children, definitely not infants, participating in that ceremony. So, again, just just to kind of help us see parallels where where parallels are. Yeah, because there there are plenty of parallels, right? Even even in the theology proper, there are yeah. a lot of parallels. And yeah. and the interesting thing behind that is um, there isn't there isn't Judeo Christian influence on Nanak guru number one, mm-hmm. or the subsequent gurus, mm-hmm. except that Islam mm-hmm. is so shaped right. by the Judeo-Christian tradition right. that it's their second hand, and some of those tenets survive through that. Yeah. Right? The things that make the most sense, even to someone from an alien culture with little to no interaction, tend to be the things that kind of transfer over into Sikhism Mm -hmm. from, you know, concepts, even like Old Testament concepts through, through Christian, through Judaism, then Christianity, then Islam into Sikhism. Mm -hmm. And, and you can kind of trace it. Like as we get through this stuff, you're like, okay, this is not, especially when you understand that it originated in India, which was the birthplace of Buddhism and Hinduism. Um, there are still similar Sikhism still bears some similarities to those other right. Eastern religions, but yeah. but there's some pretty significant deviations that are rooted in the the kind of monotheism that was revealed at Sinai. Like yeah. it, like they just it just is like right. It, where else does this come from? It's it's un, it's a unique feature um, in religious history is this monotheism. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's important to notice that because one of the major tenets uh, that we've already talked about is that sort of like there is no Hindu or Muslim. Mm-hmm. Those were the religions of their time. Mm-hmm. And, and what he's saying is universalism, right? 
all roads lead to God. Yeah. They just describe it in a different way. Yeah. They describe God in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they would lean on, look, there's no Judeo-Christian influence yeah. on Sikhism. Yet, we come to the same conclusion <laughs> because it is all the same God. That's it was what, just yeah. described in different ways. But <laughs> yeah. historically, you can look back and you can say, no, those Muslim uh, effects within mm-hmm. Sikhism mm-hmm. are Judeo-Christian revelations. Yeah. They're, they're rooted in what was written by Moses. Right. Yeah. And we're talking about the Judeo-Christian tradition being thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years old. Yeah. And yeah. Sikhism being... 500 Five hundred years old. Yeah, we're talking. If you, if you were here for the for the podcast when we did church history, mm-hmm. um, the Protestant we're Reformation. Protestant Reformation. Yeah, like we're that deep yeah. into it's, history. It's Luther and Calvin. And yeah, 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 for sure. So God is, um, the, like in Christianity, God is referred to in, in different ways. The the most common one is Ekankar which literally just means one God, right? The one God. Um, and so in, in a sense, as we've just touched on, like Sikhism is very much a monotheistic religion, mm-hmm. although it's not typically considered one of the big three monotheistic faiths, which we've already mentioned, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. But because there are some Eastern mystic nuances that are brought into this variety this flavor of monotheism that definitely set it apart and and is distinct i would say from those three right right so there's it it, it's called panentheism Mm -hmm. right pantheism says all things are are god yeah are divine all things are divine so everything in the universe has within it um divine property and the collective is the defin- divinity. Right. Panentheism, the only difference mm-hmm. is that extra in yeah. in the middle of the word. So that's so the first is pantheism. Panentheism says, yes, that's true, mm-hmm. but God is actually greater than even the material world. Mm-hmm. And so although God is through all things, mm-hmm. God is still beyond. Right. All of this, yeah. As well. So the, the the way pantheism is God is all things. Panentheism is God is in all things, above and in all things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But He's also in. Like I think that that's, right. that's yeah. That's the, I, I, I would say this way too. Um, panentheism says everything that is added up together equals God. Right. Panentheism would say all that is added up together is still less than God. Right. Yeah, God, there's a transcendent... Because there's something more There's a transcendent quality. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and funny enough, uh, the, when, they, when they talk about this as being something that is universal, like all, all faiths look back to this God in a different way. Mm. They would say Hinduism has this enlightenment in areas of karma, mm-hmm. reincarnation, mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, just the sort of variety that God consists of mm-hmm. and they're what are now millions of gods. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they would say Islam, but mm-hmm. the monotheistic idea of God and then to claim, but no one has, no one has it, has it right. 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 Yeah. No one, no one religion holds to truth and has a monopoly on truth, mm-hmm. which is itself a State, statement yeah. of truth, of yeah. absolute truth. So, yeah. so there is a hypocrisy in the statement. Right. No one religion can contain mm-hmm. the description of the person of God, mm-hmm. because if that's the sick belief, then Sikhism has nailed it. Right. <laughs> they've gotten it right where, yeah, everyone who thought they got it right actually yeah, got it wrong. And that's an exclusive yeah. statement. So yeah. you can't have an exclusive universal <laughs> statement. Yeah. So like much, much of the way that, that God is described is going to be familiar to us, shapeless, timeless. One of his names. One of genderless? The names, one of the names is used. Yes and no. Yeah. Genderless, but but if you actually like, if you actually read into it, like 
typically the person of God in their in their scriptures is referred to in a male sense and his power in a female sense. That has a little bit to do with the language that's mm-hmm. used, right? Because they don't have a neutral gender; everything is masculine or feminine, right? So, um, I think the genderless aspect of God and Sikhism has been overemphasized in recent years to align itself better with modern yeah. interpretations of feminism. And I that threw sort it of thing. in because it's one of the pivotal things they discuss right yeah. right yeah but just just to say like yeah i mean it, it again like to to build bridges with the culture around you you emphasize or yep. de-emphasize certain things um so that's been one thing um within the sick community that they've really especially the ones in canada and the u.s are like god is genderless mm-hmm. right but like but like when when guru nanak and and the other gurus were talking about god Typically spoke of him in a, in a male sense. Um, in any case, regardless, um, he is the, you know, in the sick view, God is the supreme reality. He's the one creator. I have a quote here from their, their text. Um, there is one supreme being, the eternal reality, the creator without fear and devoid of enmity, immortal, never incarnated. That's an important one to mm-hmm. remember for, for future discussion. Uh, self-existent. Which is cool because that's is that is Yahweh. That's what Yahweh means. Um, known by grace through the true Guru. Um, so yeah, so, you, you can you can almost say Amen to that. Yeah, right. Like there's there you're like you're looking at that. And interestingly enough, I was mentioning this to you, Tim. This isn't in my notes, but I actually watched a um, a video of a, of a sick teacher talking about Christianity, mm-hmm. and he broke down the Lord's Prayer and was like. It's beautiful. It's great. Like we can affirm, we can affirm that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of connect with each line. He kind of connected a phrase from their text that aligned with it. Right. So, so again, the last thing that we're gonna do here is say that these two faiths are synonymous. That they are the same faith. God is not at the top of a mountain and all roads lead to God. Mm-hmm. Jesus says He is the way, the truth, and the life. So please don't take it when we acknowledge. We acknowledge that those who are not saved can still grasp elements of truth. Yeah. So, right? so I would say I would say there are two major influences that create these similarities. Mm-hmm. One of them is natural revelation. Yeah. Right. There are parts of Christianity that just, as we've discussed for this entire year, are more reasonable. Mm-hmm. One God is the most reasonable. Of all scenarios. Totally. If if you have more than one God, then you have questions of where do these gods come from? Right. Are they all self-existent? Is there some sort of order of hierarchy and all this kind of stuff? Are we responsible to all of them or none of them? Right. Or, what yeah. if what if their views conflict? And and so all yeah. of these things are just mm-hmm. not reasonable. So so there is something inside of natural revelation. Um, that that God would be universal, not it not in such a way as to say all roads lead to that God, but that God is God over all. He is the God, yeah. Right, and and regardless of your faith or lack of faith, he is still God, mm-hmm. right? There's not a God for one group of people and a God for another group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, these things just kind of make sense. Right, yeah. And so natural revelation is the logical reasoning that helps drive some of these conclusions. The second is 1,500 years of biblical exposure Mm -hmm. that made its way into Islam Mm -hmm. and made its way around the world Mm -hmm. through that time, right? So so some of this has just been sort of leaked through over time Mm -hmm. um, and isn't necessarily brand new revelation. Even even if it has passed through the filter of Islam, Mm -hmm. it's still... It's still there. Yeah. Right? There's also there's Christian tradition of very early on missionaries actually making it so far as India mm-hmm. and establishing a, a beachhead of Christianity, but those are contested and the the records we have for that are are limited. So we don't want to make more of a thing that might not have been that big of a thing, but Chances are there were at least some who claimed the name of Christ in India before the British Empire arrived. Right. That's in all likelihood, but yeah, but, but a very small amount. Mm. Um, so, so the universe, so here's, here's some things I'm going to go through some core tenets. 
some of these things we can affirm and some of these things we're going to go like, oh, okay, that's different. So the universe was created by the word of God. God spoke the universe into existence. That is Mm -hmm. a Sikh tenet of faith. Um, One of the gurus, oh, which one? I think it was like the seventh or eighth towards the end. He he used this language to describe human beings as soul brides who long to be united to their spiritual husband. I mean, that's there's the the church is the bride of Christ, right? The wedding feast of the Lamb. Like mm-hmm. so you're like, whoa! Like that's that's a that's a yeah. parallel. Yeah. Um, there's a difference in 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 how human beings are viewed. So within Sikhism, people are essentially good, right? So. Yeah, people are essentially good. There is a bit of the divine within them, a spark that needs to be properly fanned into flame, which is a part of the panentheism. Right. Yeah. So there is a bit of the divine within you, right? And which is again a, a common Eastern um, Eastern view, right? Because it is it is equal parts Hinduism. Mm-hmm. And Christian culture, right through Islam, mm-hmm. like these things, sort of like shuffled together in a deck, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we don't, we don't want to give the impression that Sikhism is sort of like this third cousin of Christianity because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's not, right? Mm-hmm. It's it also has this very strong Eastern tradition, right, right, and, and and maybe even a stronger Eastern tradition in some areas like this. Yeah, yeah, and so. So the the goal in Sikhism is union with the one God, Nirvana. In some ways, it in is the Buddhist some ways, Nirvana. Yeah, so it is. It is. Yeah. There's. There's. Yes. Um, the the key obstacles to this union involve the obsession, the the wrongful obsession with certain things in this temporary world and its values, which oftentimes in Sikhism, kind of the patterns of this world, the structures of this world are described as being an illusion. Mm-hmm. They're not the real thing. Right. Right. And so again, we can kind of say, well, yes and no, like there's, there's some parallels there. We could, we, we might, we might be able to identify with. There are those, said, those things called the Maya. Yes. Those things. Those, they yeah. call them the five thieves. Yeah, the five thieves. That was the next thing, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, no, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right where I was going because the five thieves are these, are we might we might call them even f- the five sins. And in fact, even amongst six, they might, they might if they're trying to kind of explain mm-hmm. to you, they might refer to it that way. But these are five kind of um, dispositions of the heart that can distract and hurt spiritual life. And say so they are the ego, which we might also equate with something like pride, anger, greed, attachment, and lust. Right. So those are the thieves. Those are the things that uh, can draw you away from this desired union with Ikonkar, the the God. Yeah, and it all comes down to the obsession of Halmi, the the self. Mm, yeah, the, the self the person, the me. Yeah, so there needs to be a dis. A, so the the goal is a detachment from self, mm-hmm. um, and you know, a detachment from self, an attachment to others. Yes, but ultimately to Ekankar, the, yeah, the and, one God. And and there is there is in this, this is where you start seeing sort of a blending of things where you could say, man, die to myself, take up my cross, yep. and follow him. Um, also the desire for union mm-hmm. with God yep. and, and to have that bridge mm-hmm. between us, uh, that chasm between us filled. Um, the idea that we would look at others with a respect that considers them more valuable than ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. These are all Christian teachings. Yep. Uh, but also there's this sort of Zen Buddhist spin on it mm-hmm. that is like the further you are away from self the more you actualize the self right and right, and right. the more you become your true self which is not yourself at all right um right but yes. a reconnection to the universe mm-hmm. kind of a thing so yeah. there's there's this sort of equal blends of it's it, it would be hard to pin mm-hmm. this might be one of those things where they just say like they walk a very middle ground in that it's very it like the, the historically came out of a a region in a situation that was very heavily influenced by Islam and Hinduism 
And when you get deep into it, you're like, yeah, like for sure it is. Like it's very much a blend right. of those two of those two faith traditions. Right. And even in Nock's statement, there is no Hindu, there is no Muslim. Mm-hmm. Right. You can see in the theology proper that comes from it, those things aren't pushed off the table. Yeah. Those things are just yeah. melded together. Yeah, we're taking the things that w- that we feel work from both of those systems and putting it in, right. creating something else. Um, you know, so this. So we need to. So the idea for the sick is that they need to rigor, rigorously suppress these thieves, so that they can, so that they can escape the present age of darkness and be reunited to God. Mm-hmm. And so, but salvation is not the same as we would under as Christians would describe it. Right. So there's not there's not this yeah. idea of this eternal kingdom of heaven where we will you know walk and talk with our Lord and Savior, and, and all of that. It's about becoming so enlightened, so connected to the, the divine, that we can escape the cycle of human birth and death and life and all that, right? So yeah. Sikhs generally accept the idea, the Hindu idea. So this is where they're not born from Islam. They're not born from Christianity. They're born from Hinduism. The idea of karma and reincarnation. But it's got the twist, right? The twist is, they view God as gracious. God has given us the guru. God has given us the scripture. We need to do, God has given us the, the pathway to be reunited to him and to escape this pattern of reincarnation. Um, yeah. And so that is kind of, that's, that's the push. That's, 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 the, that's the goal. That's the means to be they probably wouldn't even use the word saved, but for, for the sake of our listeners, so that, that's, the, that's the end goal, is yeah. to escape from this cycle of reincarnation and karma. Yeah, so Hinduism, like the more we do this, the more I think we should have done Hinduism than Sikhism. Yeah, but it's fine. We'll do it next. Hinduism, reincarnation in Hinduism would say um, your, your karma, the way that you lived, determines where you come back, how you come back. Right. Right. Sikhism would say, yes, but God has an active hand mm-hmm. in that process. Yeah. And you can come to him from anywhere mm-hmm. in that status. Right. And he wants to pull you out of that process. Right. That, that Where, cycle. Whereas Hinduism would say, if you're a bad person, you're getting thrown to the bottom. Yeah. You become a cockroach or something. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's why class systems are so strong in Hinduism. Right. Because they're saying, you were born to a peasant family mm-hmm. because you're a bad person. Yeah, you were a bad person in your previous and, life. And yeah. you're rightly paying your dues. Yeah. Right? It, it's it's a form of pri- imprisonment mm-hmm. for just, it's a just punishment. It's victim blaming. And you would say, you would say to a person who had committed a gross crime, mm-hmm. I hate it for you, but you belong in jail because that's your just punishment. Right. Right. right, and so we're not going to say, "No, nah, blow the doors off the prisons mm-hmm. and let everyone out," because who cares, right? right. <laughs> so this is very much this isn't just pride of life kind of a thing for them. There's there's theological justification for mm-hmm. why these things should exist. Mm-hmm. Sikhism would say, "No, all people are equal, mm-hmm. regardless of your caste," mm-hmm. and so God has the the desire and the capacity to bring you to himself from anywhere, mm-hmm. whereas the Hindus would say, you got to keep working your way up. Yeah, you got to level up a few times before you have any chance, right? right? Yeah, yeah. And so the six kind of say, no, 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 God, God's, God is willing and able to kind of, to, yeah, to reach out to those, to whoever, and by the means of suppressing the five thieves, pursuing him, there is a way to just escape this this cycle yeah um one of the concepts too on a more practical theological level is the what's might be known as, and again i apologize for if there i i would be amazing if we had someone who was a sick who would listen to this but i'm gonna butcher pronunciations but miri piri so the mir and pier are two kind of two halves of 
the kind of practical theology within the sick mind. So the mirror is talking about the kind of the, the social and political aspects of life. It's like how you live in this world, how you interact with other people, how you interact with society, right? Um, that is an important part. The peer is more the spiritual aspect. So where's your heart at? Where's your head at? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're represented in the symbol. So if you've ever seen, and you, I, I've actually, it's funny because since we've been studying for this, I've noticed these symbols hanging from people's rear view mirrors and right. vehicles, yeah. especially living in Woodstock now, which has a much larger ethnic population than Stratford does. Um, just cause it, I think because it's on the 401 corridor, like it's v- very common to see sick people in, uh, in the grocery store in, in Woodstock, you, you know, even though it's half an hour away. Um, but it's the crossed swords. And so the mirror and the peer rep are represented by those two swords. So it's the two halves of what human life is, the, the kind of the practical, you know, tangible component versus kind of the more emotional, mental, spiritual side of things. So again, that's very, it's a, it's, it's very important for them. There's an mm-hmm. intersection between the practical side and the more mystical side. Yeah, very much uh, sort of faith lived in us and through us. Yeah, no, true, right? That's true. Yeah. Um, they have they have a much higher, so six will have a much higher view of the significance of everyday life than most of the other Eastern religions. Within Buddhism and Hinduism, which we'll get to eventually, there is very much an escape from everyday life. The, as the, the, the less you can be involved with other people and stuff around you, the better. Like if you can, if you know, if you have it within you to just be up on a mountaintop and, and not see anyone or talk to anyone or deal with anyone, that's great. That's not the case in Sikhism. They do have a high view of family life, community life, political life, right? which is, you know, which is important so long as it doesn't get corrupted by those five thieves. Yeah, it's very it's very much a difference between being a personal faith and a communal faith. Yes. Right? Yes, yes. The yes. whole like and and there are even broken expressions of Christianity over time that have had this as well. Yep. Right? You go out you go out on your own mm-hmm. and you do your thing and you commune with God and you become closer to God and that's what matters. Mm-hmm. The issue is Jesus very explicitly told the disciples, yeah. If you love me, keep my commandments. Mm-hmm. Right? Live mm-hmm. out these things. Mm-hmm. Right? And so there is there's no way to rightly divorce expressions of faith, mm-hmm. the practicality of loving one another. True religion is this that you would yep. go up on a hill and just pray all the time. No, true religion is this, according to James, Mm -hmm. that you would look after the widows and orphans. Yeah. Right? And that's a good, and and so as we kind of transition in the last section of our episode today, because time is getting away from us, as we get into how to witness to people of the sick faith, right? When, When those opportunities present, when we're able to represent our, our faith and speak of Jesus Christ and share the gospel with these people, there, there are bridges that we can use, right? If we think of, of Paul in the book of Acts, right? The, the altar to the unknown God. And this is likely going to be a theme, in, especially when we talk yeah. about Eastern religions. This idea of like, I mean, this, 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 the six are very much like, we believe there's a God, we know these kind of things about him, but he is unknowable. But finding bridges, finding commonalities, you know, um, you know, the way that you treat other people has eternal consequences, right? You know, that, that people have value and ought, to, you know, these are, these are things that are, are very real within the sick community. Yeah. For, for all that we talk about Christian charity, mm-hmm. um, six are world leaders when it comes to charity mm-hmm. and when it comes to equality. Of- yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. That's huge, right? I mean, again, this was this was a group of people who fought against the caste system in India 500 years ago. Mm-hmm. And a system that continues to persist despite what the Indian government claims and they're full of it. Uh it still it still persists. Um 
and yet they they've been doing this all along. So again, there's on the kind of the social justice side and the dignity of the human life side and the caring for the vulnerable side, there mm-hmm. are really great opportunities to find a degree of common ground with sick people in the community. For sure. Yeah. Like cuz they are on they're on board. I remember there's a there was a news there was a news thing uh, a few years ago. You know when the kind of the war against Christmas was raging? And there was this sick leader from like Brampton or something who was doing this like Christmas fundraiser. And he's like, and we're going to call it the Christmas. We love Christmas. Christmas is great. We're going to, you know, and he was like, it was so interesting that he was like, and they were like, they were getting toys for sick kids at the hospital or something. But it was the big thing was like, hey, we're not even Christians, but we're good with Christmas. And uh, so again, like we're not trying to equate the two religions, but the reality is that like, there are some really interesting um, bridges that already exist just because of through natural revelation and through the influence of of the Judeo-Christian worldview. They're kind of already in a certain place where we can have conversations about certain things. There's commonalities in values and even to some degree in theology, um, which shouldn't be neglected. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think with, with a sick... Uh, in a conversation with someone who is uh, practicing Sikhism, it's just there's a really great opportunity in just asking them what they believe and why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I I think I think a lot hinges on the whole like we know these things to be true about God, but we don't think that God can be known. Right. To which I would just ask, how can we know things about Him if He can't be known? Right, he, right. Ap- apparently, you do hold that there is revelation mm-hmm. from God to man mm-hmm. about his person. Mm-hmm. You seem to believe that's true, unless you're going to say that all of these things that the gurus have taught are just of their own, mm-hmm. which they wouldn't claim. They mm-hmm. would claim, you know, divine revelation in these. Mm-hmm. So, what if God did reveal himself? Right. What would that look like? Yeah. 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 I think, you know, describing um Jesus as a a he's more than just a conduit of spiritual truth. But from their context, you know, with the gurus, that is that is something they understand is that some human beings are different than others in the sense of they become conduits of, of, of revelation, of special revelation. And so Jesus is that for us. Yeah, but no more than a prophet. Well— We would—because the same would be true of a prophet. Yeah, they see, they see their, they see their um, gurus as being essentially perfect, though. Mm-hmm. So whereas, you know, we wouldn't—in Judaism and Christianity in particular, Islam gets a little weird with, with, with Muhammad, but we don't see our prophets as being— perfect right no. Moses was not perfect right. um you know what I mean and, and and others were not perfect but um sorry uh, where I was going uh yeah so so in a sense though like as a, as a conduit of, of spiritual truth the other thing too that as I was reading up on this a key thing to to do if you get the opportunity to connect with the sake and, and have conversations about your faith is re- sometimes in our secular culture we are we might downplay the significance of the holiness of the biblical text because people are just kind of raised in this like literary criticism don't do that with six don't do that with six don't do it with muslims they highly revere their holy text we don't believe their holy text is perfect we believe that ours is don't downplay the significance and the power and the truthfulness of scripture. That is key when it gets there. If, if, if the Lord so chooses to bring the conversation to that point, don't downplay it. Don't overplay your own, your own personal feelings and experiences. That is not, that is not, um, that's not going to help you with, with Muslims or with six. You, you rely on scripture as, as they, they rely on theirs. Right, they have a high regard and and love for their holy text. So don't 
don't downplay the significance of yours. We know that the Bible is not the the Bible as a book is not the thing that say like the physical atonement of Christ, the spiritual indwelling of the Holy Spirit, like that is our salvation, but that all of those truths are communicated through scripture. So don't downplay the the significance and the purity and the value of scripture. Yeah, I, I would also say lean heavily into um, when we were talking earlier about the beauty of the Christian faith, mm-hmm. the desirability. Yeah. Um, deep down, when I see Sikhism, I see this thing that is almost there, but there's still a level of unknown. Do your best and hope for the best. Mm. Keep doing that and eventually you'll make it out. Right. Rather than having that gracious God mm-hmm. who does affect your state, no matter where you are, mm-hmm. lead you out. Right. Yeah. Because one of the challenges um, with the person of Christ is we understand him. Christ as a guru, as a teacher, as, as a good man, that is easily acceptable within the Sikh tradition. They, they, will, they might even say good things about Jesus. Oh, we love what Jesus said about blessed are the poor. We love about Jesus, you know, who said, you know, when he talked about forgiveness or, or these other things. The, the, the challenge is going to be the incarnation. That is going to be the most offensive, the most offensive um, point of theology for someone of the Sikh faith. Yeah, but I, I think it's one that can be overcome. Uh, yeah, I would agree. So, so what I would do is I would lean back on my own sermon from last week, mm-hmm. and just explain to them the reason, the reason that Jesus needed to be divine and human, mm-hmm. um, is because in order to lead us from one to the other, he had to be a bridge that touched both sides. Yeah, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And and whereas they would they would look to this with offense, I would say. You're you're not wrong to be offended by that, mm-hmm. because no no common man has any right to lead us into the presence of God, mm-hmm. yep. and and God is above all of the trappings of humanity. So I'm with you on the offense of the situation mm-hmm. and the outcome of it, mm-hmm. but there's also this beauty mm-hmm. where. Christ looked at equality with God as something not to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant. Mm-hmm. He stepped out of the caste system, mm-hmm. out of a true caste system that even a Sikh would recognize. Yeah, The yeah. difference, not between humanity, but between the divine and the human. Mm-hmm. He stepped out of that mm-hmm. in order to level the playing field for us mm-hmm. in a way that the Sikhs try to do across the human spectrum. Right. God did that to bridge the gap between the human and the divine spectrums mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in order to lead us into his presence. Yeah. I don't see how a sick could hear that and not consider it to be the most mind-blowingly beautiful thing. Because mm-hmm. yeah. it just it just fits the desire of their faith mm-hmm. at this ultimate level that that would just be incomprehensible even mm-hmm. within their faith. And I would say it's only incomprehensible because when Islam tarnishes Christianity, mm-hmm. that is one of the tenets that they really harp on. Mm-hmm. God could not, would not do that. Yeah, You can always say God would not. You can never say God could not. Right. Amen. Because yeah. that's a limiting factor on a limitless being. Yeah. I think, I think the thing too is like amongst the, the sick understanding of who God is, he is perfect, right? He is, he is without flaw. And, and so, you know, my question to them would be, okay, so you are called to deny the five thieves, right? Things that we, we would also identify like yeah. pride and anger and greed and lust and all these kinds of things. So you're called to deny these things because that is what God would have you do. And God is not corrupted by these things. Um, how good is good enough? Mm-hmm. Like at what point, you know, like at what point is your righteousness enough to escape this cycle of karma and reincarnation? Right. How could like, 
you know, these are real people. They know their own minds. Right. They know their yeah. own hearts. And they might be very moral, upstanding people. And, and oftentimes, a lot of six will be. Um, but, but like, you know, think for a moment on, on the purity and the goodness of, of the one true God. How could, how could it ever be good enough for him? Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, that that's, that's always a helpful thing. That was, you know, that was something that I used when I was witnessing to a Muslim guy a couple of years back as kind of a connection of like, how good is good enough? Because how good is God? And how could human goodness ever be acceptable before him? And, uh, and it's possible with Christ because of, like you said, him having, touching both worlds. Yeah. Um, a point so, of scripture I would take for that would be Psalm 24, mm-hmm. right? The earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it, the world and all who dwell there upon it. Mm-hmm. He founded it upon the seas and established it on the waters. Mm-hmm. Who could have sinned? Who could ascend into the hill of the Lord? Yeah. And who could enter into his holy place but he who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift his soul before an idol? Mm-hmm. That's a high bar. Mm-hmm. And that rhetorical question just leaves you saying, I don't know. Not me. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. You know, but for grace, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, yep. the grace of God who, who covered our sin. Yeah. And, and again, like I'm just kind of thinking ahead towards the conversations, you know, and the subjects that we're yet to, yet to dig into and looking forward to it. But I know that the incarnation is going to continue to be the sticking point mm-hmm. as it was when Paul brought the gospel to Roman and Greek Gentiles. And as he brought it to, um, to Jews in, yeah. in, you know, throughout the diaspora that like the incarnation is going to be for most worldviews and most religions, the biggest hurdle and obstacle for people but you can't deny it because therein lies the power of the gospel. Therein lies the foundation for atonement. And uh, and so just get up on your incarnation theology, folks. <laughs> if you're if you if you feel like God's calling you to make these connections, that's a that's a huge area that ought not to be neglected. Yeah. And be ready to answer questions about it. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada. It is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time.